You're listening to the On the NBA Beat Podcast, a show packed with nuanced perspectives on the league's most important stories. Portland has three timeouts left. The Lakers have two. Brian, to shot! LeBron James with no regard for human life! Jordan. Oh, a spectacular by Michael Jordan! And now, your hosts. Lauren Lee Chen, and the twins, Aaron and Joshua Fishman. Hey listeners, welcome to another edition of On the NBA Beat. I'm your host, Lauren Lee Chen, here alongside my co-host, Aaron Fishman. It's a bit over a week after Mardi Gras now, so what better time to talk about the New Orleans Pelicans? To help us delve into their up and down season, we've brought on Shamit Dua, lead writer at Bourbon Street Shots and host of the In the Know podcast. Fun fact about Schmidt is that when he's not watching and talking about the Pelicans, he's also the coach of the Tulane Ultimate Team. Brief programming note before we get going, in between when this interview was recorded and when you're listening, the Pelicans were hit with the On the NBA Beat curse and lost games against the Magic and the Hornets. And perhaps more importantly, it was announced that CJ McCollum had entered health and safety protocols. But with that in mind, let's start the show. Hey, Schmidt, it's great to have you on. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited. Yes, and it's a very exciting time to talk about the Pelicans today. Coming out of the All-Star break, they were one of the hottest teams in the NBA. Four straight wins, including a big win against the Suns, a 34-point win against the Jazz, and then blowouts against the Lakers and Kings as well. Um, a lot of people are attributing that hot stretch to the addition of CJ McCollum a couple days before the trade deadline. In your mind, how has the team dynamic shifted since the addition of CJ McCollum? Yeah, so I think from the get-go, CJ has brought professionalism, leadership, and just attention to the franchise in a way that it hasn't had before. You can tell that this is the player that all of his peers voted him as a president of the Players Association. He knows what he's doing uh, both on and off the court. And it's the kind of leadership that the team has is, is really needed. Obviously, on the court, he's been producing at an extremely high rate. Uh, I think he's up to like 27, 28 points per game as a Pelican. He's gelling well with the other players on the team, creating open looks, and just all in all making the Pelicans' offense that much more dynamic and that much more difficult to defend. Yeah, and I'm especially curious to hear what the skill set he brings to the table unlocks for their other star, Brandon Ingram. Now, Ingram's currently dealing with a right hamstring strain. He'll be reevaluated in seven to 10 days. But before that injury, he had been producing at a dominant level as well. So, what do you think has changed for him with the addition of CJ specifically? Well, I think a few things. It's allowed Ingram to take advantage of broken defenses. Previously, he was the primary perimeter initiator. He, he was doing a good job with it. He was, I think he has a career high assist rate at this point. He's been diming. He's, I think, taking a leap on, on just that end of the game. However, now he has a capable ball handler to partner with him. And not only is it a ball handler, it's a guy that can score on all three levels and the defense has to account for. So there's already been teams that are tra trying to trap CJ McCollum 
at near half court or sending two at the screen. And now Ingram's playing in advantage much more than he previously had this season. And I think just makes the game that much more easier for him. I'm also wondering about previously in his career with the Blazers, CJ was playing mostly combo guard, but it seems like with the Pelicans, he's shifted to sort of a de facto point guard role in a lot of starting lineups. How has he handled that change, if you view it as a change in responsibility? No, I think it's definitely a change. He himself has talked about it on a couple of different platforms, how he is now the guy with the ball in his hands. He's able to come in at different periods of the game, primarily when the team is in the bonus that lets him get to the free throw line a couple more times a game. Uh, I think he's done a really good job. And honestly, it's probably the best role for him on any NBA team because you don't want to pair him with another small guard. Uh, And I think he has the skill set to be a high-level decision maker as the primary ball handler because at the end of the day, he can score from literally anywhere on the floor. And if you have other ancillary playmakers, you don't need a guy who is just solely responsible for me being like a traditional point guard type. You can get that playmaking from other positions like Brandon Ingram has been doing and, and Zion will do when, when he's back. But you know, he's CJ has been diming himself too. So it's not like he, he hasn't been racking up the assists. You know, I think the last few games he's had like eight, eight and nine, I think he had 11, uh, the, the game against Memphis. So, you know, he's been filling into that role pretty admirably. It just gives the, the Pelicans another steady hand, someone reliable with the ball, someone that doesn't turn it over, someone that can manipulate defense and just carries a lot of experience with them. The other main storyline that people talk about these days when they talk about the Pelicans is the Zion Williamson situation. Now, there was a little bit of drama around the All-Star break Probably a little bit overblown, I would guess. There was an issue where CJ McCollum said that he hadn't texted or spoken to Zion yet after the All-Star break, and then that led to JJ Redick uh, making some comments questioning his commitment based on that and also his ongoing issues with weight and other aspects. It seems like each week we get a different update on his injury prognosis, some saying that he's ahead of schedule, some that he's behind schedule. But especially given that his rookie extension is coming up, um, how are the Pelicans managing the risk of having Zion as their franchise cornerstone given his injury issues and possibly those drama issues? Um, And also, do you view, I guess, any of that talk as being overblown or being something to pay attention to? I think it's definitely something to pay attention to. The one thing J.J. Reddick said was that it's now a pattern of behavior and JJ's not alone in observing that. I think that is a pretty well-known uh, thing amongst like Pelican people who cover the Pelicans that Zion has been kind of detached as a teammate, and it's it's not something that is recent. However, when you're a small market and you have a talent that is Zion Williamson that is capable of being a top ten player in the league at his peak, you don't want to easily let that go. You want to figure out and explore every single possibility to make it work. And you hope that bringing in a leader and veteran like CJ eases that process while you, you know, while you're winning games, while you're making yourself a competitive team in the West and and ideally playing in this play or even making the playoffs. I think you as an organization have to do everything you can to sort of sort this whole situation out. And if at the end of the day, it doesn't work, then you can say we did everything 
we we accommodated him at every corner and and it just didn't work out. So you don't want to look like the negligent franchise that the media will inevitably try to paint you as if another superstar uh, ends up walking. With regards to his extension, I think that's going to be a very fascinating question this summer because you look at how Joel Embiid did not play very much in the first couple of years and he got a pretty conditional extension with a lot of injury provisions and whatnot. A lot of people are, are arguing that Zion should get something similar. And I think the Pelicans would be right to do that, but it's still a tricky issue. Do, do you risk alienating him further by putting that on the table? Do you just kind of swallow the pill and, and offer the full mass uh, full max I'm not sure what the right answer is here. It's easy for me, who has no stakes in the game, be like, nah, make him prove it. Uh, need to see him on the floor, you know, make sure you're protected. But I don't know if I could say the same thing if I'm the guy making this the decision and I have multiple stakeholders to account for. And ultimately, I'm trying to build the best possible team. So I, I have no idea what the Pelicans are going to do. It's going to be a big story to watch this summer. But I guess if it were you in the seat, would you try to offer one of those Joel Embiid-like conditional max extension, but with a lot of provisions in it? And then I guess if Zion balks at that idea or like calls the bluff, would you just offer an unconditional max extension as well? Oof. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, like I said, I think if you ask me today, I'm completely on board with putting in all the protections and provisions that at least, you know, don't leave the Pelicans out to dry if Zion has major injuries going forward or, you know, just can't play. But I think if there was no other option, I would try to get him on the full max extension, knowing that there's probably a team out there, probably the Knicks, who would be willing to offer you pretty much whatever you wanted um, in a trade. So you might as well have him locked up and and there's no actual threat of the qualifying offer. And the Knicks can't be like, well, you know, he's just going to take the qualifying offer and leave in a year. So I think from an asset management standpoint, if you had to offer in the max, you'd do it. The next guy I want to talk about is Herb Jones. He's looking like the steal of the draft so far this year, solidifying his spot among the all-rookie team, largely based on his impressive defense. And usually you don't see that type of defensive ability, especially for a rookie. How valuable to the team is it to get that kind of contribution from Jones? And what else do you think he can still grow into? He's been absolutely incredible. He's been the linchpin of the entire Pelicans defense. He he does pretty much whatever you want him to on that end. The Pelicans deploy him more of a point of attack defender, putting him on the best perimeter players that's out, uh, that are out there. But, you know, if he gets switched off or screened off, he's just absolutely incredible and help situations as well. Like from the nail, he has this uncanny knack of digging into the lanes and forcing turnovers he has really good weak side rotations and just he understands what he needs to do well beyond normal rookies. And he's, you know, Willie Green pretty quickly figured out that if this team wanted to be successful in any capacity on the defensive end, he's got to play a major role. And and credit to Herb, he's he's lived up to that. As far as what he can develop into, 
I think there's a lot of growth uh, we can see from him on the offensive end. He's a pretty confident player. You know, there's not any of those moments where the ball reaches him and there's this kind of like a, a record scratch or, you know, you can kind of see him scared to make decisions as you might with other rookies. However, you know, he's still not a, a high volume three point shooter. His percentages are pretty decent, uh, especially uh, over the last 30, 40 games or so. He's been working with Fred Vincent. He's a pretty, he's become a knockdown free throw shooter, which is promising, a uh, promising indicator of his shot developing further. Primarily, I would say that he gets his baskets in transition and off of cuts. So I think just continuing to progress as a ball handler and continuing to work on the shot where he becomes a bona fide three and D player, that player is a hundred million dollar contract player in this league for, for many years. Um, so that, I think that's his future. This is Aaron. Thanks again for joining us, Shamit. I want to talk about the team defense. Last season, the Pelicans ranked 23rd in defensive efficiency, just better than the lowly Thunder and Cavaliers. As of Sunday's league-wide results, so this doesn't include the Pelicans' Tuesday or Wednesday games, the Pelicans rank 18th on the season. So at first glance, you think, okay, that's not really better than middle of the pack. But over their last 20 games, dating back to January 20th, again, this does not include the Tuesday or Wednesday games, they've been the NBA's third best defense. Only Boston and Miami have been better. What else, if anything, have you noticed other than that monumental impact that you just delineated that comes from the Herb Jones contributions? Well, I would say it's Willie Green figuring out his rotations. Part of that has been cutting out players who have just been negatives on both ends of the floor. Uh, if you know, if you have players that are are just not defended on the offensive end then the team's going to have a sloppy offense and that's going to lead to the team defending in transition a lot team turn, uh, turning it over and and the other team getting easy baskets so they they've eliminated those players and then I'm okay you know I'm not going to dance around the bush they've eliminated Garrett Temple minutes Garrett Temple <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry I love the guy that's what um, we have you on here for your honesty it's okay <laughs> I, I I love the guy you know he's been tremendous as a leader um and just an advocate for the team um, and representative of the state because he's a local guy. But, you know, he, he's he been abjectly awful on both ends of the floor. And he got an incredible amount of minutes throughout the first portion of the season. Um, Willie Green has now eliminated him from the rotation. It took a while, but the Pelicans have been surging ever since that happened. And, you know, it's 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 not fair to attribute, like, entire lineups tanking with, with with just one player you know it's usually a combination of every player however if you look at all the breakdowns you look at all of his partnerships look at all of his lineups he is the single common denominator in in taking down those lineups and so you know it, it, it hasn't been easy for the pelicans i guess really green to, to make that change but they did it and the Pelicans have taken a leap on that front. But also I would say is that they play a pretty big starting lineup that can rebound pretty well. And now they've started to play a bunch of pretty big size wings. So mm-hmm. the starting lineup is CJ McCollum, Brandon Ingram, who is like six eight with a seven three wingspan, Herb Jones, who is huge and and you know, a freak defender that we already talked about, Jackson Hayes, who's seven foot, and, and Jonas Valanciunas. So there's a lot of size out there. And then Tony Snell is coming off the bench. He's another big size wing. Najee Marshall is now into the rotation. Trey Murphy's getting minutes right now as we speak, as we're recording. So it's just a bunch of switchable wings that 
allow Willie Green to execute the scheme that he's wanted to execute. They play in the passing lanes and it just, it gives them a different look as opposed to when they were playing a bunch of smaller guards. And, and, you know, when, when CJ McCollum was first traded onto the team, they had a period where they tried starting Devontae Graham and CJ McCollum. And we just, we, we all knew that wouldn't work because we've seen what Damon CJ look like. Um, this is just a worse offensive version of it. So the rotations have gotten better. The Pelicans have pretty athletic players on the perimeter. I would say Jonas is underrated as a defender. Honestly, he isn't going to be a, a shot blocker, but he's rock solid positionally and he, and he just eats up possessions on, on the glass. So like he, he will terminate possessions. So I think it's just good fundamentals. And honestly, if you look at last year, yes, they were 23rd. I think that's what you mentioned. But in the last 40 games, the last half of it, I think they were top 10. That was Damon Gundy changing the scheme from an aggressive one to just basic drop and putting Steven Adams in the drop and it allowed the Pelicans to be a lot better. And so it's been, you know, Willie Green's a rookie head coach. He's been figuring it out. He's had injuries to deal with. The early portion of the season, they were like particularly injured. And so like, I think if you look at their defense from when they started one and 12, like if you look at it from that point onwards, it's, it's, I think in the top half of the league, if not, you know, closer to top 10 or in the top 10. So it's, it's been a process, but they have the personnel. It just, have they been available all the time? That's, that's a question mark. Yeah, it's definitely been trending in the right direction. And you teed me up perfectly for this next question that I'd just love you to delve more into that lineup change. So even before McCollum was acquired, Jackson Hayes briefly entered the starting lineup alongside Jonas Valanciunas. So they had that that two big man, two center lineup, if you will. But because they didn't have CJ yet, Devontae Graham was still starting. Now, Devontae Graham is no longer starting. I know Ingram's out, but um, when when Ingram was healthy, it was CJ Ingram, the two big men, and and Herb Jones. So you talked about why it's been so good to have so many um, interchangeable wings. But if you could specifically talk about what's worked with having Hayes and Valanciunas in the starting lineup together, and also to what extent you've seen that benefit what they've gotten out of Devontae Graham off the bench. Yeah, so with Hayes and Valanciunas, honestly, it's been like boom or bust. Uh, the sample size on those on those lineups is still pretty small. And mm-hmm. one game here or there can swing the net ratings on that lineup wildly. Right. So we're not we're not entirely sure if if that's like working out. It's definitely fun to watch and it's brought a level of consistency to the team where like Jackson Hayes knows his role night in and night out. And I think that's been important for him when it comes to to producing. It's not one of those things, am I gonna get in at this time? Am I gonna play the five? Like, am I not playing tonight? It's like, okay, I'm going to start and at least, you know, the first five or six minutes of the first and third quarters, I'm in there. I, I have a job to do. And because I'm not the center, I don't, I'm not solely responsible for those defensive responsibilities or solely responsible for rebounding the wall. I can, I don't have to battle with the brutes down there. I can, you know, fly in for rebounds instead, that kind of stuff. So I think it's helped him understand his role because I think if you look at how Willie Green's been closing games, he's been opting to put another wing there instead of Jackson going for more mobility, more switchability, that kind of stuff. So I would say the bigs are figuring out how to play with each other and they have a pretty fun kind of uh, celebration that they do every time they find each other for assists. And they they actually like, they love looking for each other. So it's been joyful to watch, but it's uh, regarding Devante, what you said about Devante, how has it helped him? I think, again, 
instead of going against the best starters in the league on both ends, you know, you're not having to chase around Steph Curry uh, and expend energy there, or you're not being defended by DeJounte Murray or the Drew Holidays and the Marcus Smarts of the world, then, you know, you have a, a little bit of an easier time. And again, I think it's it's a little bit of role clarity where he gets some more freedom with those backups than he does with the starters where you have Brandon Ingram, CJ and Jonas as guys who are going to be the higher usage offensive options. And you may not have a consistent way of getting your shot with that lineup. I take your point that it has been a small sample size, but I do want to note that they went three and one with that two big lineup when Devontae Graham was still in it. And then they were four and two with four big wins and that overtime loss to Denver with um, CJ and the two big men lineup. So we'll continue to monitor how it works. But anytime you see two 6'11 or 7-footers, whatever you want to call them, together in this modern NBA, it's going to get the attention of onlookers. So I think it's it's pretty cool to see, as a lot of teams go small, that it at least hasn't been a liability. And you could argue that it's worked. So we'll see what happens. But on that note, I have to ask you about Jonas Valanciunas. There have been questions about his fit alongside Zion, who, as we know, is out. They did give him, at the start of this season, a two-year extension worth about $30 million. Do you see that more as like a stopgap solution that they did just in case Zion would be out for an extended amount of time? Or do you really think that they could see it working? Um, because we've seen Jonas is hitting his threes this year like he never has for the first time. He's attempting over two three-pointers per game and converting them at a 37% success rate. So that, you could argue, would space the floor for Zion, give him more room to operate in the middle, i.e. dunk on people. Um, so what's your understanding of how the front office views that challenge of those guys together? I personally don't see it as a challenge. You look at Zion last year, he averaged 27 points a game, shooting 60% on the floor, and he had Steven Adams as a center. People said the Steven Adams partnership wouldn't work. Uh, the Pelicans were a pretty decent offensive team, and Zion got whatever he wanted whenever he wanted. So Jonas is a much more talented offensive player than, than Steven Adams. Just as good of an offensive rebounder. Like you said, he can space the floor. He can he can draw doubles himself. If the Jonas and Jackson Hayes lineups are obliterating teams offensively, the Zion's just going to take them to another level. So I, I don't see there being a question of a fit. I think last year the spacing issues were exacerbated by the hot and cold nature of Lonzo Ball and Eric Bledsoe just not being a very good player. And I think players like Brandon Ingram hurt more from that kind of spacing arrangement. But when you put CJ on the floor, you put Jonas on the floor and Zion's back, like Brandon Ingram is never going to see doubles. He's going to be in solo coverage all the time. And he likes to just live in the mid range areas and he's just going to be able to rise up and fire. So I, I think the addition of Zion is going to make this team just a nightmare to deal with offensively. And because now the Pelicans have a bunch of switchable wings, we're not, we haven't even talked about Larry Nance, who is working his way back from injury. You mm-hmm. can then be creative with your lineup structures to where, yeah, if there's a matchup where, where defensively Jonas is not suited to being out there, if someone's gone smaller, then okay, we're bringing in Larry Nance at center. Herb Jones is out there. Brandon Ingram's out there being a wing. That kind of stuff. So I think this this team is just 
built for Zion to come back and take them to the next level. I really do. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with more show. College basketball fans, join the action on the court during the biggest tournament of the year with DraftKings Sportsbook. Turn your team's victory into your own big win. New customers can bet $5 on any team to win and get $200 in free bets if that team wins. It's that simple. If they win, you win. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still join the College Hoops action with DraftKings Pools. Everyone can play free pools all March long for a shot at a share of over $250,000 in prizes. Simply join a pool and answer questions like, who will make it to the next round? And who will hit the most three-pointers? Then track your results. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Bet $5 on any college hoops team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. If they win, you win with promo code TBPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook. 21 and over. Restrictions apply. See show notes for details. My name's Caitlin Cooper. I'm a contributing writer at Indy Cornrows, and I am on the NBA beat. Specifically, what kind of role do you anticipate Larry Nance Jr. holding next season, or even this season, um, if and when he returns? If he returns this season, and Zion has not returned, I would anticipate him being the first person off the bench. I think they'd probably just roll with Jackson as a starter, but I think Nance would close just about every game and he'd play a significant amount of backup center minutes. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think next season he would probably be your first backup center, but we're splitting the difference here because I think Jackson Hayes is technically a center, but you might see Larry Nance with the responsibilities of center and Jackson Hayes playing with him. But you know, it's, it's just semantics at that point. I think, I think, Nance is just there to be a powerful defender, a good culture guy, and I would expect him to close just about most games. Yeah, it should be cool to see Larry Nance come back when he does. It seems like wherever he's gone in the NBA, his home crowd has just loved him. He's kind of like a crowd favorite given just how he plays. He's feisty and just in the community too. He does a lot of great work. And he, of course, was acquired in the McCollum trade along with Tony Snell. So it's not just CJ that they got in that deal. I think a lot of people forget about that. Before kicking it back over to Lauren, I want to ask you one other question. And it's moving a little bit forward in time. But just best case scenario, if a lot of these question marks end up going the Pelicans way, like say Zion is healthy for example, and you get the ideal progression from young guys like Herb Jones and Jackson Hayes and Kyra Lewis is hopefully back at some point from his devastating knee injury that he suffered last December. What is the ceiling that you see out of this team for next season? Man, that's such a good question. I think they would solidly be a playoff team, and I think they would be a team that no one wants to see in the first round. I have a tough time putting them as a home court team because you know, the Warriors are still out there. The Jazz are always a good regular season team. The Nuggets are about to get really healthy. Um, we haven't even talked about the Suns, who are the best team in the league right now. So it's it's tough to be like, yeah, no, they'll definitely be out there. But 
I think the West is going to be really, really good next year if, if everyone's healthy. And I think the Pelicans will solidly be a part of that. I mean, I think even this year, they're a team that teams wouldn't want to see in the first round if they make it to the, the real playoffs, as you said. But uh, we've talked a lot about Willie Green's first year as a head coach and the adjustments that he's made over the course of this season. In your mind, how has he grown as a coach in his first year? And what are some other areas of improvement that you could see him still improving on uh, as his career progresses? Well, I think the most important thing here is that the players respond to him and respect him. And I think that is the toughest job any coach has. And it's not necessarily something that's teachable. So I think he's already um, an excellent leader and and someone who guys want to go to war for. With regards to areas of improvement, I think his game management um, is going to get significantly better. I think it's gotten better as the season's gone on. I still wouldn't call him, you know, amongst the top half of that. Yeah, I think there's just little things about like when to use timeouts, how to substitute people, things like not playing Garrett Temple so many minutes for most of the season. So I think I think he's going to adjust as the years go on. And, you know, especially as the roster gets more talented and he's faced with less uh, difficult choices, it's pretty easy to decide, hey, Zion is a good player. Let's get him the ball. It's, <laughs> any coach can decide that, right? So I think a lot of those things will will solve themselves as people get healthy. But yeah, just I would say in-game management is uh, something that he can improve upon. And thankfully, that is something coaches can get better at. I think he has the hard part already down. Sometimes when you have these teams in transition from being like a young team focused on player development into like a more solidly contending team, there is like a change in coaching or at least coaching strategy you tend to see sometimes especially if a team doesn't improve as much as expected there is a shift in the direction the organization goes with their coach is that sort of just like counting your chickens a little bit to start thinking about that or do you see that uh with willie green Uh, yeah i mean i think that's a good question i think i think if you're a coach you have to have like a core philosophy and and things that you want to do regardless of how good you are, you know, just from your day-to-day approach and just mentality and just how you, how you prepare the team for, for opponents and all of that. I think the things that probably change as the team gets better are, are definitely rotations. And I think just you, you can pick and choose certain things where like, Hey, I know my guys are, you know, they've been playing together for three or four years now. They know my system. Um, I can let them improvise more. I don't have to call plays right now. I can maybe insert a younger player like Memphis has done with uh, Zaire Williams with more talented players. And that way he's getting valuable development time playing with guys who know what they're doing. That makes the game easier for him. So I think you get a little bit more freedom um and there's a little bit you know there's just a lot more trust as as the years go on so i think that's probably what changes but i i would assume that most coaches don't want to change anything about like how they actually approach the game and how they actually prepare teams and returning to this season it now seems fairly likely that the team will at least make the play in tournament with at least the 10th seed given how most of the teams below them currently are are not actually necessarily trying for wins. And also the Lakers are having their problems as well. 
how would you assess the odds for the Pelicans of actually emerging with probably the eighth seed now is the highest that they can hope for from that play-in tournament, especially if it means having to secure two wins in a row against teams like, I guess, the Lakers, who aren't necessarily that formidable of a challenge, but then either the Clippers or the Timberwolves? Yeah, I I think to cop out of this answer, it all comes down to health. If the Lakers have shut down LeBron and Anthony Davis isn't coming back, yeah, I think the Pelicans are winning that game. Um, you know, if Kawhi Leonard and Paul George are not back, I would I would probably favor the Pelicans in the game against the Clippers. If Zion is back, I would also favor the Pelicans against the Clippers. So it, it really depends who all is healthy and who is available. I think that's what it's going to come down to. I think if you take away the main players of all these teams, they're all pretty similarly bad. Maybe the Clippers are the best of them because they've been playing without their best players for a long time. But, you know, it, it when it comes down to if one play, one team has more of their stars available, that's probably going to be the team you bet on. And then it may seem weird to talk about this for a team that's currently in the play-in, but do you get a sense of urgency for the front office and maybe David Griffin specifically for a certain level of success, either this season or next season? given the situation as like a small market team and especially with Zion Williamson's upcoming contract renewal status? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if there's like a sense of urgency in the sense where if you don't reach certain outcomes, then people are going to get fired or whatever. I think they would like to win. That's why they traded for CJ McCollum. I think they view themselves as an organization that should be trending uh, upwards. And so making the plane would be the right step, but I'm not sure there's this like world is ending or we got to blow the team up or, you know, there's dysfunction behind the scenes if, if those outcomes aren't reached. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And hopefully they can stay the course and not do anything drastic. Like you said, Shamit, I've learned a lot from you today about the Pelicans. It's been a great conversation. Thanks for joining us again, and hopefully we can do it again sometime. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's always a blast talking Pelicans. I really appreciate your time. Huge thanks again to Shamit Dua for joining us. And of course, thank you, as always, to all the loyal listeners for tuning in. If you'd like to hear more Pelicans talk from Shamit, be sure to give him a follow at FearTheBrown on Twitter, and also listen to the In The Know podcast. This show was hosted, produced, and edited by Lauren Lee Chen, that's me, and Aaron Fishman. If you like what you heard, be sure to give the show a follow on Twitter at OnTheNBAB and the host at Lauren L. Chen and at by Aaron Fish, respectively. You can find more episodes of this show by searching On the NBA Beat wherever podcasts are found. And we'd also really appreciate it if you're able to leave a rating and a review, as those really do help more people find the show. On the NBA Beat is part of the Basketball Podcast Network.